Greetings, everybody. This is a Travel Addict podcast where you can hear candid stories and discussions about business and adventure travel from around the world with activities such as trekking, diving, camping, driving, cruising, and just plain chilling out somewhere. We talk about lots of experiences in places all over the world, including the grand, the remote, the edgy, the risque, and ones of questionable merit. Education, fulfillment, and wonder enrich our lives. And of all the books in the world, the best stories are found between the pages of a passport. Stay tuned. Hello, everybody. Malcolm Teasdale here, the travel addict, as you all know that I am from previous episodes. This afternoon, we have a gentleman here. He's actually from Nashville, Evan Pieri. Hopefully, I've pronounced that correctly. And he's been in the music business most of his life, but it involves travel. Yeah, being out on the road with bands and musicians and touring around different places on the planet. Sounds somewhat exciting. So we're going to find a little bit about that today. So Evan, welcome. Malcolm, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. uh, Travel is a big part of my life uh, in work and for pleasure. And uh, it seems like you have ventured far and wide across this this globe and i'm i'm happy to be here today to talk about that about your journey and about where i've been in my shorter time on the earth you have traveled a lot with musicians and bands all over domestically internationally so firstly explain why do you do that what are you doing are you acting as a tour manager are you hauling equipment around or keeping people out of trouble what what do you do with you when you tour around bands Basically all of that. So I found early in life that I was not talented enough to be the talent. I just did not have a knack for that. But I could keep a schedule and, uh, you know, raised by parents who made me be on time for things and be organized and stick to my studies. And I went to university and I have a degree in entrepreneurial studies and business. Cool. And so I'm good with a spreadsheet, not necessarily good with a guitar, if you will. Um as silly as this sounds, part of the scouting community, so Boy Scouts here in the States, um, and so you're taught to sort of adapt and be prepared, and that sort of works into the touring world. There, there's sort of an ever-changing thing going on out there. The things change by the millisecond. You have to be able to adapt and sort of fix the problem, move on, have the show ready. Um, you know, that's the goal is to get to the time of day when the show is supposed to start and your artist is on the stage at their highest level performing and your job is to get them there. So yeah, tour management was honestly earlier in my career, um, working in a, in, in a, at a lower level with, you know, uh, mostly bands in the alternative world and alternative music scene and sort of wearing every hat, you know, jack of all trades. Uh, you're, you're doing a lot at once. You're, you're dealing with the artists, the, the venue the travel aspect, anybody that has to do with the travel aspect, all of the, the folks that do help put the show on. So um, audio engineers, uh, techs, whether it's a musical technician, et cetera, stage production managers, et cetera. So you're sort of uh, balancing all the books at once and yep. ship forward and get all the artists uh, from A to B every day. And that was where it started. So it, at that level, I'd, I had seen um, mostly mainland, uh, you know, the, most of the states. And then we did mainland Europe, UK, um, and a little bit of um, sort of Eastern Europe. But And that was in my like early mid-20s. So I spent that in vans, in the channel, in a train, 
Um, <laughs> not as much luxurious air travel. You know, once you flew from the States into Europe or whatever, most of it was on the ground travel. So yeah. Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of German rest stops. Uh, you start to learn real quick how to at least say please and thank you and beer and mm-hmm. toilet. And uh, yeah, that was sort of my foray into being young and not traveling with my family or my parents. It was like being there with my peers and us all being just as clueless, <laughs> like no one to <laughs> shepherd us through, if you will. Um, so much, you're, you're sort of a jack of all trades, but you're, you're also trying to control people's behavior. I'm, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. It's very easy. I would think, um, if they didn't have your upbringing, so to speak, that, uh, things could get out of hand and, uh, so you go, hey, you, you're staying in your hotel room tonight, you're not going there, whatever it may be. Yeah. Uh, do you actually, um, get involved in fixing or tuning up the equipment as well? Uh, yeah, early on, yes, learning again, jack of all trade style, like learning any skill set you can. So I can set up a drum set. I can restring and tune guitars. You know, I can, enough, enough knowledge to be able to set up the show yeah. without the refinement of it. You know, it, you, you learn as much as you need to get by. And that was sort of my early stages, including tour management. You're just sort of looking at, um, you know, I, I had mentors in that that were, a decade older than me that were happy to provide me some wealth of knowledge that I could continue to build my own career on. And, you know, people have organizational, uh, at that time, Excel sheets. So like place to keep your expenses, ways to keep merchandise organized. So you sort of just, as people pass things down to you, you find your way to utilize it and keep, again, it's keeping the, keeping the train on the rails like that. That was most of my young life. And it was me by myself a lot of the time. Traveling abroad, though, you'd usually also still have some type of local person to help help you through that. So in the case of touring in a van through Europe, the driver of the van is from a lot of the times the UK, just because that's where most of the tours would start and land. Then you'd venture into mainland Europe. Um, but could be from anywhere. So, you know, if you happen to have a driver who spoke French and English, that might help you in France. If you had a driver who was, their English was solid, but they were also German, you know, it was always someone that could, had also been through the touring circuit of the UK and Europe and and sort of could shepherd you. They might know the promoter there, you know, it, it, it's nice. It's nice to have because as a as an American, you're not always sure. You know, we know how to tour in the States. Yeah. We're familiar with the way our country works, but we're not familiar with, you know, in Europe, you could be in and out of 20 countries in a day, like just passing through them yeah. somehow. So, exactly. Uh, yeah, interesting to see. But yeah, my, 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 my memories are being on ferries inside of a van, being on a ferry with a lot of sleepy people through the middle yeah. of the night, also being in the channel in a van, like not just like, oh, we're on the train crossing we're like in a van parked in the giant container like going through the channel and <laughs> oh, so, yeah it, that that's where my experience sort of differs a little bit in travel it's like most people are like oh i got i bought a train ticket i pulled my luggage on the train with me i sat in a comfortable yeah. seat maybe a business class seat we sat in the van traveling through the channel so yeah. you know it's i, I it's, get it. Uh, it like yeah. it's birth by fire so yes. to speak you, yes, you yes. learn as you go and uh Rough times, good times, uh, a bit of everything. So you learned along the way. Now, I would imagine it's it's not all the same. I'm going to ask you about some of the artists you work with. You don't have to tell me, by the way, but um, it depends who the, the artists are and which would relate to the, the size of the crew, right? Sure. 
and then getting to the venue, well, size of the venue could matter, right? Right. Yeah. And when you can get in to start setting up. And- a lot of a lot of planning. So that's really it. It's uh, touring is as much I the the people that I have the most respect for to think back into you know, like popular music being toured around the country and the world to think back even to like the 60s and 70s, you had to just you made a phone call, you spoke to someone across the world, yeah. and you hoped when you showed up that someone was waiting for you on the other end, right? Now we have text message and email and instant messenger and, you know, FaceTime, we can see you could see the person that you know, you're going to look for. And you know, there's just so much connection. I give all those folks credit that were touring musicians around and, and taking care of them through the eras where it was, you hope the person was waiting on the, when you got off your flight, 10 hour flight that you hoped that the person was on the other side. And there was just so there was even more planning because there, there was less to be left to maybe we'll make this work through a text message or a phone, yeah. quick phone call. So, um, but yeah, a lot of planning and it scales up. So the biggest artist that I've worked for in the most recent large artist I worked for was this group Pentatonics. Um, they're an acapella group, yeah. um, multi Grammy award winning acapella group and, and, um, hmm. mostly toured through the States with them. But right before, um, coming into 2020, we did South America and it was the first time I had extensively been down there. Yeah. And, um, Honestly, I, I really enjoyed it. We had some great folks taking care of us all the way through. You know, at that point, you work with, so they were part of the Live Nation um, promoting community. Yes. And, yeah. and so I've like Live Nation, ticket from them before, yeah. Yeah, one of the biggest promoters in the world. So when you're at that level, you're, you're taken care of well. They have folks that will help guide you through. You know, we had a, a local um, rep that would get us in vans every day, yeah. get us to the venue. They, you know, they, they know how to deal with the local folks or they, yeah. they're all just family. It felt like South America felt like they all knew each other. It was <laughs> almost like family. They see each other so much, especially when American artists would come down there. There's so much interaction, yeah. um, you know, to the point where our, our local, you know, you, you call them guides or production coordinators. He like knew Ronaldo when we were in Brazil, he was like, but he was like, I'm just, you know, WhatsApping Ronaldo, and you're like, what? And he and he was this very big, girthy guy, and he, he had a big personality. And I was like, yeah, this is the guy I want to be hanging out with. That I want. I, we're safe. He knows where we're going. He knows who to talk to. Yeah. He knows how to get us into where we want to go. You know, and keep us together and safe. And yeah, he's just talking to world soccer star Ronaldo, football star for those yeah, of you listening exactly, internationally, yeah. football star Ronaldo. Oh, okay, yeah, like yeah. that's. Absolutely. That's my odd life sometimes, you know, as we travel. It's okay. It's it's cool, actually. You know, I'm just thinking when you, when the way it used to be without email and just phone calls, which were expensive, I'm trying to picture this, the logistics of setting up a Pink Floyd concert with the stuff, pure theatrics, right? Right. Something like that. It must be unbelievable. With a plane going overhead inside a stadium. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how they did that. It was a thing where there was a playbook. You know, we I, early in my touring career, we had, you know, obviously I've toured in the cell phone and internet era. I, I you know, I, I take no steps towards those folks before, but we would, you would have a tour book, right? And the tour book, that was the tour manager and the production manager and the production team's guide, right? It would be printed ahead of, so after all the phone calls back and forth, people were writing stuff down on paper, you would send this, all that information to a travel agent or a travel agent would have oh, yeah. helped through that whole process. And then they yeah. would print you, you know, it's similar to just a regular itinerary tour book, but it had like 
all your days, all the shows, who the promote, who was it, who are you supposed to call when you landed? If you got yeah. to a payphone, you know, who was going to pick up? So as many details as possible. And you just hoped it was all right and accurate. We'll, we'll and, together. you know, and I think a, a, there was maybe a little bit more winging it or like, you know, understanding that things weren't moving so fast. Now we're just expected like on a dime things change and, you know, you're constantly working out the details back then, like the details were printed in this book. You hope that those stayed accurate <laughs> until the day you showed up in the city. I've heard stories of, you know, especially like here in the States where you would show up, the promoter would say, Hey, when you get off the interstate, go to this McDonald's. It's like right off the interstate, call me from that payphone. Yeah. I will come get you and drive you in. So you know where to go because, you know, even in a, if you had a roadmap, how accurate is the roadmap? And so like, that was sort of the tricks of the trade back then before GPS and cell phones. And, um, but yeah, just that interconnected network, totally different than what it is now. Yeah. And just relying on the, when you made a, a verbal agreement over the phone. <laughs> it was good. It's like the handshake, old handshake agreement or virtual handshake agreement. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I get that. It's, uh, I'm, cause I was, Bought up an era of rock music from the late sixties into the seventies and eighties. You know the type of stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of it was heavy, of course. And you know what? I can't imagine doing this myself. By the way, I met a couple of musicians for bands who who were quite famous, actually, and they're all quite well behaved. But I'm sure in my era, and you you know who they are, the members of the band would even get out of sorts themselves or just either get silly, maybe drunk, I'll use that word, and yeah. stupid, right? Collapse yes. on stage or do something stupid. That's unforeseen, isn't it? But it can, of course, happen. Absolutely. I I won't I won't name them, but I'll just say that I was on tour with a band in Europe one time and um, we were somewhere where we could get Jack Daniels and they hadn't had, they were like, hey, Peary. They would call me by my last name, Peary. We see that this club is sponsored by Jack Daniels. We haven't had this in whatever. It had been a week. I was like, all right, I'll see what I can do. They happily brought us whatever we wanted. And I couldn't tell how far gone they were. Um, we, we were staying in the lovely motel chain Formula One at this time. I don't know if you've ever seen or been to. If you haven't, you don't want to it's uh it's shared bathroom at the end of the hallway which i understand is how a lot exists yeah. in europe at a lower hotel motel level yeah, I, I know what you mean um but bunking up multiple bunk style bunks in a room bunk beds in a room thing was just what this band could afford at the time it's where I, we were at we were in our tw young 20s um and we were on tour with a bunch of other bands we were sort of trying to stay together like at times you would also talk to a travel agent and say can you please just book all these bands together so i i would know as the tour manager of the whole tour like where is yep. everybody right where are we going if we stay together it means no one will get lost or we're all safer yeah um and we get into the this motel and it's a weird you have to like punch a keypad in like check-in guests like it was like no hotel front desk clerk like and it was late of course so You'd play a show, you'd be done at midnight, you'd load all the gear out, it would be one in the morning, then you'd drive an hour to wherever you're going to stay. So now it's two exactly. in the morning, right? We're, we're coming into this, I get sort of everybody in the door. I realize, oh, I left my bag in the van. I'm going to the van to get my bag. As I'm putting my hand on the door to go back into this motel, I look up and see a mattress shoved out of the window above me, like on the second floor. And I just went, what is happening? One minute later, I, I went back, what's going on? And the 
some of the other guys that were on the tour with us, uh, the guys that were two of the drivers van, yeah. driving the vans, they were sm- like smoking a cigarette and hanging out. And within a minute, let's call it, the fire alarm starts going off. Oh, and I was just word. like, oh, please tell me this isn't one of my, <laughs> one of my guys, right? Yeah. And so now everybody's, it's two in the morning. All these hotel, motel guests are filing at the fire. It's going off the whole hotel. Like it's oh all it's as loud as possible. Three, two, three in the morning. Um, and all these people firing out. And now I'm seeing some of the guys in one of the other bands covered in white stuff, just covered. And I was like, what just happened? And the, you know, one of the guys got his hands up. He's like, I'm not going to be the rat. I'm not ratting anybody out. I don't I didn't see anything. And I was like, well, clearly you saw something you're covered in what, would become fire extinguisher dust yes and i was and i was like what happened they're like somebody shot off a fire extinguisher man we don't know and ultimately the bass player of the band that i worked for came out going like whoa what happened he's like looking around being like funny guy and i was like well i know who did it because he's being obnoxious and they were drunk like they got i didn't realize like how far gone they were yeah. And so basically what happened is the opening artist kids, like they opened the door to their room, they put their stuff in, then they went down the hallway to the bathroom thinking like, Hey, we're at three in the morning. No one's coming in here. Like we're just going to mm-hmm. run and come back. Yeah. Yeah. And the guys that I was working for went in, shoved their mattresses out the window and shut the window on it. And then in the hallway started shooting a fire extinguisher off at everybody, all the bands that were still out there. Oh my word. And so the fire department shows up as the fire department's there. I'm on the phone with this band's manager who's in California. So whatever time of day it was, I was like, I don't care what time it is there. I'm calling and he's going to pay for this phone call now, too, because, of course, calling long distance from Germany <laughs> to back to California. And I, call, I he answered. I said, hi, one, you're paying for this phone call Two, definitely one of our guys just shot off a fire extinguisher at three in the morning in this German motel and the fire department's here. I don't know what's going to happen yet, but I'll call you back if we're going to jail kind of a thing. Right. And so the fire department comes, they turn off the alarm, they clear the, you know, they ventilate it, they clear all the fire extinguisher exhaust out. And I was like, okay, well, no police, fine. We go back in and then all of a sudden that the opening band, they're young kids, they come up to me, they're like, they're not letting us back in our hotel room. They think we did all of that. Yeah. So they had nothing to do with it. The the like air quotes prank was on them, which caused this whole ruckus. So then I had to, and, and, they, were, and they said the police are coming. So now, now I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get my passport. I go get my passport and I'm just standing sort of by, I'm like, I can't let these kids go to jail. I can't let them go to German jail, you know, <laughs> you know, let them go to German jail tonight. So I'm standing by and the police officer starts talking to him. And then he over, looks over at me and he sort of says, and what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm sort of in charge of these kids. I'm here to just make sure you're not about to arrest them all at one time. And, and then it, it, it proceeded to, he asked, he took my passport and we proceeded to walk to where the fire extinguisher was. And he sort of did like an inspector Clouseau vibe where he like looked longingly at the fire extinguisher and looked longingly back at us and looked longingly back at the, and he sort of went, we need to figure out what happened here. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And then at sort of, as the, it progressed, they were, their their English was great. They're police officers. I don't expect them, you know, like we're in their country. We're guests of their country. Exactly. Yeah. But it's so as it was going, their like English just kept getting worse when it got down to like how much trouble we were going to be, be in or like what the penalty was or whatever. And ultimately, basically, the lady who was in charge of the motel overnight basically just said, like, I need all this paid for, you yeah. know, like somebody's got to. And I basically said, like, if you let them go, 
I will give you the person. And I just gave them the manager of the band that I worked for his info and said, send him a bill. He'll pay it like that was. And then they let us go to bed. But it was like out now is like five in the morning and I still haven't been to bed to then get up the next day to go on to the next city, which was Amsterdam. My first time in Amsterdam. Yeah. I didn't talk to the those kids in the band the whole day. I said, do not talk to me. I was up till five in the morning, making sure no one went to jail. Yeah. You're in trouble like a dad. Um, but so that's my craziest version of that okay. in terms that, of that's that's interesting. However, you know. <laughs> how, how long ago was that, by the way? How a decade ago, actually. Funny enough, I just got a reminder last night that that happened a decade ago to the week. Decade. So that was that was ten years ago. But this stuff, to a degree, happened decades ago. And you know the bands. I mean, didn't yeah, the yeah, Who yeah. get they they had they had a bit of a reputation. Mm-hmm. Zeppelin did a little bit, and um, who who else? I'm yeah, sure, like of, Ozzy, know, the Rolling Stones, they all have had reputations. Yeah, they, you know, they, Guns and Roses, you know, and name a band from the the '80s, sort of uh, Sunset Strip era. There's got to be a story of somebody throwing a TV out a window in a casino exactly. hotel or something. Yeah, I was, I was born in uh, born and raised in Coventry, England. The Sex Pistols came to town, and that was a whole different picture, right? <laughs> because it was like the birth of punk, and right. It was awful. They, they hit the headlines. But saying that, Evan, if, if you want to mention some of the bands you work with, please do. But were they punk bands or new wave or what type of music typically? Yeah, so I started, I mean, I grew up listening to mostly alternative. So a lot of punk and pop punk and um, heavy-ish music. And that was sort of where I met the first band I worked for called Four Year Strong. They're from Massachusetts here in the yeah. States. Um and they're all my peers were all basically the same age. It was sort of me coming out of school. I, I worked for a music management company or interned for a music management yep. company, met this band and off I went. Um, and, you know, that was the sound. And then it's sort of you start to look at it like, oh, this is a career, right? So that was, you know, you had loyalties to a point that band had the career that they had. They made it to a point. But in that genre of music, it's only going to get so big. Yeah, right? exactly you know, pop music still over supersedes everything. Like the Foo Fighters are the biggest rock and roll band of the moment, you know, active rock and roll. Yeah, band. That's exactly. Not to, that's uh, not they, to take any quite well for themselves. And yeah. Them. Not to take anything away from the Rolling Stones who are still touring into the age that they're into, yeah. which is amazing. But, you know, like as far as active, big rock and roll, selling a lot of records, playing stadiums, playing yeah. Wembley in their case, you know, like yeah. the Foo Fighters, but like everyone else is not going to make it to that point. So no. you start to look and go, if I want to make this into a career, I need to move into a different genre. And I sort of bounced around when I got here to Nashville six years ago. I wasn't touring. I was just coming here to to try to be near some friends and have a community. And, and East Nashville was growing. It's where sort of the artists and musicians were. It's starting to get priced out. It's kind of wild. But like that's yeah. where all the that was the hip area over the last decade. And I came here. And of course, within a month or so, somebody was like, hey, they, there's a country artist looking for some crew. And so I went down that path. And now... That artist, uh, they're called Dan and Shay. They're a country duo, and yep. they're a three-time Grammy Award-winning country oh. duo, and have had some huge songs. You know that have crossed over to pop radio. They did a song with Justin Bieber last year, two years ago. I'm the pandemic. I started to lose track. Yeah. But so you know, you start to t- you know ramp up, and then there's a lot more production. There's a big bigger team of folks. You know, it's a mm-hmm. different community. The vibe of people is different. Um, the amenities are different and that's sort of the goal. I think you hit, you get closer to 30 or hit 30 and go like, I don't really want to be sleeping in a van or on people's floors or, 
you know, no. if I'm going to travel the world, I'd like to try to travel the world at a higher level and or with people that are in the same boat as me. And, and, and those guys are all about the same age as well. So, um, you know, it, it rolled up to that. I, I worked for this really great hip hop artist named Andy Minio for a while and, you know, saw a different side of that. And, yeah. and he existed in the he exists in the Christian music world, too. So I saw Christ, what Christian music looked like or pop Christian music. Mm hmm. And, and that sort of circuit of things. And then more recently worked for pentatonics. And so yep. that was sort of the highest level I had ever worked at. We did a re an arena tour, um, and several, um, amphitheater tours and, and they travel first class as, as an yep. artist. So it was cool to be a part of a, you know, 50, cool. 50 person team that like you described, like, how does it all go up? Well, there's X amount of people that every morning they get the stage set up, they bring the lights in, they bring the, all the audio gear in. Yep. You know, in the case of the biggest part of Pentatonix Group, we were carrying some of our own staging. So we would bring a stage in because they would come up from below the stage to start the show. So, you know, going from working for an artist where it's just some band gear and we're sleeping on people's floors and sleeping bags and sometimes in the van to, you know, getting to be brought into a first class lounge of, a, of an airline because you know, at least the artist is flying first class or business class and they bring us along. So getting to get these bigger perks of travel and sort of see some other places, you know, from a different level is it's been fantastic. I don't think I would have gotten to see Australia at this time in my oh. life or, you know, Buenos Aires is now at, like one of the best places I've ever been as far as. Like, yeah, it's a, it is a cool place. I, I must admit, I know, um, People in South America do have a lot of respect for American rock artists and European rock artists, and I think like Iron Maiden are huge in South. Yeah, America. like in this in South America, like rock and roll or like metal is huge. Yeah. Like Iron Maiden goes there and plays, you know, soccer stadiums are you know huge places when they're there. Um, we were not doing as big of places, but still, just uh, getting to see different cultures. In that case, you know, being in South America and and. Um, seeing things like the Recoleta, the cemeteries there where it's like a different level. It's just something, these are countries that have been around longer than the America, like uh, the, the America that we live in. So yeah, just feel, some of them just feel older. So. Interesting. Yeah. I mentioned before, I'm, I'm a bit old school because I'm, I'm older than you, Evan. Yeah. So, you know, the era I was born up on, you know, sure. Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Black Sabbath and all that. I've, I've seen pretty much all of these, but I have, a big respect for a rock band that's around today. And I know you've heard of them and I listen to their music a lot. They're called the war on drugs. Yeah. 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 And I love their music for whatever reason. It's just, it's something it's, it's almost psychedelic to me, but it's just really cool stuff. They're from Philadelphia, I think. So mm -hmm. There is yeah, hope for me. That's what I'm saying. This that's hope for me. <laughs> I was never a fan of the uh, uh, punk a little bit, but not much, and I, I never really like rap music. So my, my music taste is uh, fairly uh, uh, widespread. But I will even say, and this will make you cringe, I'm a great fan of the musician Yanni, especially when he plays at all these these places around the world. It's extraordinary, you know. I, I had a I had a girl get in my car one time and demand I put Yanni on. So respect. I mean, that's an international artist. You know, yeah. he's he's a world renowned. Yeah. Human. So yeah, Absolutely. no, I have no, I have nothing but respect for, for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say, so for me, just travel wise, um, inside and outside of what I do for a living, sort of my favorite parts of it are, I'm always in search of a great cup of coffee. That's become a part of my life. Yeah. And, um, 
you know, localized outside of Starbucks. We can get, I've, I've, I've now found after traveling for so long, you can get Starbucks anywhere. So why not look for something else when you're traveling? And Mm -hmm. it's something I've nerded out over in my thirties, just coffee culture. And so seeing how other countries and other parts of the States do it. And, you know, the want for me, as much as I've traveled reasonably extensively over the last decade, I still have yet to make it to Southeast Asia or Japan. And uh, the coffee culture of Japan is something that really intrigues me. And it's on my, it was my 2020 plans until the world got canceled last year was to travel extensively through Japan and and see. I know this uh, for reason pretty obscure, but which country drinks the most coffee? Ooh, that's a great relative question. to the population I'm talking about. Ooh, I don't know. Do you tell me what? Do you know the answer to this? Is this trivia yeah. you already know? Finland. Oh, yeah. What's the, what's the percent? Yeah, they, they drink what's, the most. Yeah. What's the percentage? Do you know? No, it's it's the highest, but they they will have it. Um, if you ever get to Finland, it's a cool place, uh, by the way. Uh, but the, the scenery and the uh, the way they look after the country is fantastic. But when when family goes to the family's house, coffee is the main thing they, they serve, you know, is part of it's coffee houses all over the place. They drink a lot of coffee. I drink well, a lot of tea. I'm a British guy, right? I sure. Drink so right. You, you understand that. But yeah, they're big coffee drinkers. But, you know, as far as travel, and you, you've listed some places that you want to go to. So let, let's touch on those. Sure. Uh, J- Japan. Yeah. Why Japan? Their culture, just culturally, it intrigues me. They seem like they have a respect for everything. You know, uh, I've been in quarantine because I wanted to learn a little bit more about um, their rail system. Those look like the cleanest train train cars, train systems I've ever seen, ever, period. You know, like there's, you know, there's travel by rail all over the world, but I've watched videos where you can get an overnight sleeper scenario and it's not the nicest but you have a place to like spread out and lay down and there's a duvet and it's the 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 way they were explaining it to it it costs the train ticket plus only five more dollars for that car yeah which we don't have that in the states and it it was a long overnight train but i was like i want to experience this i'd like to go the lowest common denominator and then also maybe come back in a nicer train car you know but like their train system intrigues me just culturally they they have seems like they have a lot of respect for each other and everything around them and just cleanliness and efficiency and i don't i just want to see it they their art culture is insane their coffee culture is is it's its own thing and it's just going there to experience that and and i'm also a big theme park person i've i love sort of the history of all that you know specifically disney walt disney um and and his legacy and the history and then what's become of all those parks and they have two of the most fantastic in the world um that people always rave about so i'd love to get to those as well when i get to japan that's on my bucket list yeah i i get that um i've got a relative that lives there it's, he married a japanese girl and he lives there he lives in the mountains uh, sort of uh, outside of tokyo he used to live in tokyo i've been to tokyo myself a couple of times there's a language barrier but i went many many years ago i was at a trade show there and uh, I like the people, and but I did get to spend some a uh, couple of nights in Tokyo, which was chaotic. But I had trade show gear with me, so and I was carrying trade show gear, peak traffic time in Tokyo, which was absolutely stupid. 
And I know, no, the, the, the people there didn't like me for doing that. I get that, you know. <laughs> right. Um, but think about Tokyo and most of Japan is very safe. Mm-hmm. Like it's not crime free, but it's very safe and good healthcare system. Sure. And yeah. my relative, uh, Peter, loves living there and he's got no intention of going back to the old country. So I admire him, but there's a lot of history there, Tokyo, but then you go to Kyoto and some of the places yeah. of splendor. Definitely want to get to Kyoto. That's that's on my list as well. Yeah. Um, out out to see Mount Fuji, obviously. But yeah, take then see what the train like the whole bullet train thing, and then just you know potentially or just like long long travel train. Um, I don't know. Just it's it's a culture that's always intrigued me, and um, you well, know, it's on your bucket list, dude, man. But if you want to like bullet train is is super fast, but it's not the fastest train in the world. You know that, don't you? Where is the fastest? It's a maglev train in Shanghai. Ah, magnetic okay. technology goes up to 268 miles an hour. I, I, I can't imagine. I feel like at a point you have to, it has to make you feel sick a little bit. No, make sure I've ridden that train because I took it from Shanghai airport to downtown Shanghai, uh, four years ago. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, do not sit rear facing. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Right. So, if you're, that's the only advice. Sure. The, the taxi ride from Shang, Shanghai Airport to downtown is about an hour. The train takes eight minutes. <laughs> how? Um, what do? How did? How did you like Shanghai? How? How was China on a whole? That's it's on my list ultimately too. Obviously, I'd like to get to Japan first and some of Southeast Asia. But uh, let, let's discount Hong Kong. Hong Kong's one of my most vibrant places on the planet. By the way, it's okay. fantastic. So put that aside. It, it's, it's China now, but. The, the skyline in Shanghai is fantastic. The, the architecture in Shanghai, as it is in Beijing these days, is, uh, is is spectacular. Very populated. And Beijing, of course, has some sights to see, obviously, the Forbidden City, um, which is adjacent to Tiananmen Square. And th- there's plenty to see there. Weird food, I must admit. If you want to, if you if China is on your bucket list, so to speak, and a place to go to, is the it belongs to China? It's the autonomous region of China, Tibet. Yeah, well, of course, it's a bit weird getting there. So right. I stayed in Shanghai two or three nights, and then uh, to get rid of the jet lag, then I went further west and stayed in Chengdu for two nights, and that's the nearest major city before you take off to Lhasa, Tibet. Got then it. all of a sudden you're on a different planet because it's steeped in religion mm-hmm. and culture. It's like they're back centuries, whereas the major cities in China are just modern and all that. So um, that's a special place, Tibet. Um, right, very Buddhist culture-centric culture, Tibet, right? Or the, yeah, the, the, well, it's day. It look the place looks like it hasn't changed for centuries. It's very it, heavily Buddhist, and it was the home of the Dalai Lama, of course, until 1959, when the Dalai Lama got out in time. He lives in India now, right. but the buildings there are. Historic. I mean, the unbelievable uh, places there now, and it's worth going just to have a taste of that foreign culture. It's cool. most, one of the most culturally rich places uh, you could visit. Um, but if you stop at Chengdu, they have a panda rehabilitation center there, mm. and that's really cool because they take care of their precious commodity, the panda. And you know, pandas are one of the latest animals on the planet, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They even give them um, the male pandas like. Uh, uh, cocktail of drink to make them sexually more inclined to partner up <laughs> it's a problem though because the mm-hmm. the male they just prefer to sleep and eat bamboo but that's another story 
I mean, it's worth a trip there if you want. But um, sure, Hong Kong is vibrant. Yeah. The other, yeah. the other sort of higher list item for me is I'd love to just get to the UAE and just experience that culture as well. You know, specifically Dubai. It seems like a rapidly growing, unique, interesting city, um, and culturally, again, just a completely different from what I know and what I've experienced and how I grew up. So to see that would be cool to me. Yeah. Yep. I went to Dubai. I landed on a time at Ramadan. Oh. It was all right. I couldn't get a beer though. Right. You can, you can, if you know the right contacts there. Uh, now Dubai is massive. It was stinking. Hot. It was 125 degrees Fahrenheit when I was there. <laughs> Brutal. So be careful if you walk from one place to another outside. Sure. However, I I wasn't keen on Dubai. No, no. A lot of people said, "What? No, I. You know what? It just there was something missing culturally that was missing. It's modern, and you have a good time there. It just wasn't for me. I had a buddy of mine loves Dubai, and it's a big party town. And but was I got no reason to go that there, there again, unless it's a layover, of course. But sure. Yeah, and it may you may love it. I'm just saying that's uh, not 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 for me. So, uh, but that was that was Dubai, and uh, so what else you got lined up? You think? I'm, you know, it's it's a, a sort of thing where I'd I'd love to. Um, in just watching some travel shows recently, you know, the Southeast Asian part, like getting somewhere like Laos or to that region of you know part of the world. Just I know it's hot and sticky and. Uh, you know, most of the year it's warm, but, and, you know, definitely Thailand on the list. So like to get to that region of the world to see it, I know it's expensive to get there, but once you're there, it's, it's really affordable, at least on the American dollar. So. Uh, oh, oh for, sh- for sure it is. Uh, I wouldn't say every place. Well, Hong Kong is very expensive, by the way. Singapore is one of the most expensive places yes. on the planet today. It's worth seeing. Southeast Asia has always intrigued me. I, I really like it there because I like the, the culture. Um, I'm just curious, Evan, you know, because you've been around what, with what you've done all these years, being around uh, musicians, the road crew, and obviously the crowds that go to the concert. Sure. You think, or you maybe start to get the urge to actually get away from people or go to more obscure destinations. Is that in your, your, your brain cells? Yeah, I think, uh, again, I've had a, a, fortunately, my travel for, let's call it a better part of a decade, was paid for by someone else. So yeah. we weren't always able to get to the more obscure, far off reaching places, but I love that as a traveler. Um, you know, even here in the States, finding, you know, you, there's, a, there's a city and there's a thing to see in the city, but then exploring oh, there's a mountainous region that's this tucked away thing, you know, that you, you need to like search it out to find a place to stay or a, you know, a host out into the wilderness a little bit. Those are the kind of things I love. I, I wouldn't say I'm the most like growing up in the Boy Scouts. I sort of got over camping and being outdoors. I did enough of a lifetime of it in the span of yeah. 10 years of my childhood to make me, you know, but I enjoy it. Yeah. I, I think that's sort of for me getting to a place like Thailand or, or, you know, a country like Lao, like, yeah, I want to. I want to go. I want to go outside the city. I want to see the culture. I want to experience the day to day life. Like that stuff's more intriguing to me. I want to go just sit somewhere and enjoy what the locals are enjoying. I sort of try to find that even in a bigger city. Yeah, I don't want to go to the 
top rated, most seen thing on TripAdvisor or Yelp. No. I, I'm looking for where's the cool neighborhood where all the young people are that are just, this is their city, you know? And, um, but yeah, that's, so for me, like to get to Japan, like I'd love to, I want to see Tokyo. It's an experience. I want to see Kyoto. I want to go to Mount Fuji, but like, where else is there to, what else is there to experience in that culture? That's not the highlight hits, you know? So I've said to people in the past, I said, I, I folks, I said to friends, relatives, I'm off to such and such a place. And they said, what is it? I said, it's a country or it's, it's a place. It does exist, by the way. People may ask a question that what on earth do you want to go there for? Have you got good insurance? Is <laughs> your, your will sorted out? You know, even the things that I've done, if, if, if you trek the Himalayas or go into the wilderness of Mongolia, mm-hmm. staying at one of those yurts or tent, they're very, very good, by the way. It's not just a tent you buy at Walmart and pitch on the ground. No, no, these are good things. But it's a, it's a very sort of rich experience. And when you do these obscure things, it really stays with you, you know, because it just – I remember when I did this. I remember when I went to Mongolia, I had that vulture on my arm and eight-foot wingspan, and he thought about killing me. I, I don't know. But the, this stuff sort of uh, – it stays with you and makes a good story to tell as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah, but you've got plenty. You've got plenty to do, and uh, plenty of time to do these things when things sort of get back to normal. The planning ahead or having something to look forward to is important, at least to me. Same, and I think once I feel like where America has sorted it out, COVID a little bit better, and we'll like feel a little less stressed to travel more widely again. I can't wait. It's it was the biggest upsetting factor of 2020 for me just any kind of travel plans that i might have had were just squashed just so squished. ready ready to you know save my pennies again for and ha- again like you just said have something to look forward to and and be excited about how do people find you on the internet for example just describe that if they wanted to find out more about your escapades on the road or or, or whatever find about I'm, I'm sure you've documented a lot of this stuff of your troubles and strife on the road it is, um, and it's going to be interesting reading, by the way. Lesson funny, le- could be learned by many other people. Funny you should ask. My mom has always told me since I left on the road that I should be st- saving it all for a book. But then I, like yourself, uh, put some of it down in podcast form. And it's always more enjoyable to share a story with a friend or a fellow compatriot of the same experience or similar experiences. Yeah. So um, it's I, there's two seasons of my podcast called Notes from the Road. Uh, it's a podcast about touring and tour life and other folks' adventures out in the space. Most of them are my friends. A few folks uh, I met along the way and got we got to hear their story of how they've they made it either as a musician or a crew member, etc. Um, that can be found on a multitude of podcast outlets uh, or at Notes from the Road Pod on Instagram. Um, not as active as it was, but um, I'm also actively working on doing some more live streaming stuff on Twitch. Okay. But if you follow me at Evan Peary, E-V-A-N-P-I-E-R-R-I on Instagram, that's where I post anything that I'm up to at the moment. But yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the live aspect of things, like having a conversation with folks in a real a real time sense. And live streaming really intrigues me at the moment. So I've been trying to work out that as a, as a podcasting slash video show platform. But okay, yeah, if... if Feel free to reach out to me, you know, about travel, et cetera. If you told me you, you came from Malcolm's podcast here, I would, you know, happily talk to you about anything, uh, you know, travel related or touring related. Well, it's a big part of our lives. I, if you could have a guest on your podcast in the music industry, it could be a musical artist, who would it be? Ooh, great question. 
Um, that's that's a good one. I've I've never. There's always sort of been those reach goals. Um, I feel like it would be somebody like a Dave Grohl because he's got stories. He's well traveled. Um, you know, it is more of a combining of all my favorite things. Yep. You know, uh, musically. Um, and I feel like he's always so engaging when somebody can pin him down. He, you know, I feel like he did, uh, I think he was on Dax Shepard's podcast this year. And I think that was a really enjoyable episode. Um, so he would, you know, from what I know of him, from other friends that I've interacted with him, he's very giving. And I think that it would be a a good person that would, he would answer some of my crazier questions or tell some interesting tour stories of the last 30 years plus of him, you know, from Nirvana into Foo Fighters and beyond. So, yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's good. Uh, you, you never know who you're going to bump into in your life, right? This is true. I, I lived in South Wales before I moved over here, uh, close to the town of Monmouth, uh, Rockfield Studios, Monmouth, where they, they made a Bohemian Rhapsody. But I lived just south of there, four miles south in the village. My local pub, some of uh, Robert Plant's bands used to hang out in there. So I got to know a, a couple of those guys. They're cool guys and everything. And uh, I was fortunate to bump into uh, the band The Scorpions in Moscow during the final days of the Soviet Union. Mikhail Gorbachev invited to play the Kremlin. Right. That was the thing, right? They were like one of the only bands to agree to go to do that. Isn't that sort of why that's a thing in there? The history of Scorpions that will always be sealed is that they went and performed. They went there. And that song, Wind of Change, is basically all about that time. Right. And they were in my hotel. I thought, how about that? <laughs> good guys great music of course you know we both have more experiences to come hopefully uh we get to enjoy them tell you what evan i've enjoyed talking to you you added this extra flavor to it you are on the road with musicians and getting up to no good and uh all that so it's cool to listen to some of those stories and of course i believe them yeah and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny all right well i wish you all the best take care great. of yourself i you wish you well all. thanks okay. Malcolm. bye-bye Many thanks for joining me today. This is Malcolm Teasdale signing off. Before I do, please check out my website, MalcolmJTeasdale.com, for more information about my travels around the world. Okay, folks, talk to you later. Bye for now. Stay safe.